0: Ossington, Ossington, <laughs> the hacker podcast, the dark web today podcast people, and like Mr. Hill and all that, they want you to wake up and like go on Twitter. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> oh.
1: August 14th, 2003, and the largest blackout in North American history causes 6 billion in damages. The official cause? Overgrown trees on power lines. But there's more to this story than troublesome trees. Just three days earlier, on August 11th, someone, somewhere, released one of the most damaging computer viruses. against the Nico is one of the world's most respected virus hunters it is here at F secure an antivirus lab based in Helsinki that he and his team first identify blaster when it hits the internet what astonishes Miko is the impact the virus has on Passengers were frustrated by long check in lineups today after a virus overwhelmed some of the airline's computer networks. As Blaster explodes across the net, Air Canada's check in system shutters to a halt. And 3,000 kilometers south, Amtrak and CSX Railroad services are disrupted, delaying train routes. In- Our computers act strangely or slow down. But blaster was a new kind of threat. It used to be that viruses traveled the internet by piggybacking on other programs. They would arrive at your computer in the form of email attachments. The virus could not activate until someone opened... programs, they propel themselves through the net, and they are self-activating. In other words, you could get blaster simply by being connected. You would get infected just by having your PC online. You could be sleeping, and your machine would get infected. Which meant anything connected was susceptible. Systems like the financial network, water treatment, Months after the blackout, the official report stated that Blaster, despite being released just three days earlier, played no significant role in causing the huge shutdown. Some security experts remained unconvinced, pointing to more than just the timing of the two events. If you read the blackout transcripts of the operators who were in the middle of this when it was happening,
2: what keeps coming up in the transcripts is, is comments that, you know, isn't moving there,
1: there's screens from freezing, which is exactly what the blaster were caused. Whether the blaster virus caused the 2003 blackout remains a contentious issue. But after blaster, no one doubted that online viruses could cause fires is a former instructor at the british columbia institute of technology he researches the dangers of connecting critical infrastructure to the internet there's no question that you could build a virus um to take down the critical infrastructure for example our power systems our water systems our transportation systems. if those go away then our life radically 95% of the machines
2: are running Microsoft Windows. So when you have some sort of a worm or a virus or some sort of threat spreading that affects Windows, it spreads like wildfire. A Canadian oil company um, came to us and said, you know, we have this this big infrastructure
1: and we're curious, you know, can somebody uh, attack this? So Eric went to work using only a laptop. into the holding tanks at the company's refinery so first of all i'm going to do what's called cut off visibility now i've fooled
2: it so that the uh, operator doesn't know anything anything's going wrong in the field and then i'm actually going to blow up the tank farm and you can see that all of a sudden this pump has just gone nuts and pretty soon that tank's going to be overflowing and in real life uh somebody be walking around with an oil spill
1: Plants and oil refineries to the internet is putting them at risk. Why not leave them unplugged? For business, for business reasons, for business efficiency. Mary Kerwin is a security consultant and a columnist for the Globe and Mail. One executive interviewed said that he thought it was, it was fine, it was worth taking the risk so they'd have an edge on the competition by having these open and secure hookups The problem is, the Internet was never designed to be secure.
3: It was never actually built to do a lot of the things we're using it for right now. Uh, It was not meant to be an engine of commerce. It was not meant to hold your banking information.
1: In the late 1960s, researchers began developing a
3: network that
1: could share information between computers. In the 90s, it went public and exploded just a handful of scientists on the internet it was now anyone with a modem. When you have 25 people on a network you can be pretty sure they're going to play well but when you have million people on a network you can be pretty sure that somebody is not playing fair
4: there are no secure computers uh, there are no secure networks.
1: Hamid Yoran is the former director of cybersecurity within the U.S. Department of Homeland Security.
4: I think sooner or later uh, we are going to be hit by a cyber failure uh, that will affect uh, either our nation's infrastructure or international infrastructures in a very significant and harmful way.
1: Viruses. Blaster had no specific target. Its damage was collateral, releasing it an act of cyber vandalism. Something a kid might do. Most of the time, when these guys get grabbed, if and when they get grabbed, it was just for sport or their pals or they were sitting in their schoolroom in Germany and somebody annoyed them so they decided to play a game and write viruses or whatever. So, usually they have. They have no clue of what they're doing, and that's why they can be very dangerous. They're called hackers. Some would say they're nothing more than hobbyists.
4: Kids, mostly. But hackers grow up, too. We are the people that that are behind the scenes of everything that you take for granted on the Internet. Goodbye. us.
1: or the IT people at your office. The black hats are the bad ones. The virus writers or the crooks who try to steal your credit card number online. And then somewhere in the middle are the gray hats. They work both sides of the street, guns for hire in a Wild West industry.
3: Tell us who you work for, Donnie.
1: Right now. Donnie makes his living as a professional hacker. Exactly how, he won't say. He is sometimes hired by companies to hack into their own systems. It's called penetration testing.
4: That's where you get permission to break in just as a real hacker would, but you are under a contract. And that's so that they can identify their security flaws and fix those security A bad guy really
1: does. Like most
4: professional hackers,
1: Donnie has an infamous past.
4: I was approached initially by this company in India. They wanted a demonstration of my skill set, so to speak. I ended up compromising um, five different systems with five different um, exploits. After looking further into one of the intrusions, I had indeed broken into mail.gov.in. For all intents and purposes, I took down their. On, on the systems, all I wanted. I was able to plant back doors and gain later access. I was able to um, read emails. I was able to um, record keystrokes. In hacker parlance, Dedicatedly, um, I would give it one week of research, one day to take it down. That means taking out the power grid. It means taking out the communication power. It means taking out probably the military capacity of the United States so to function
1: properly. We'd probably go into a police state at that point. That's exactly Las Vegas is the largest. Can you imagine 7,000 hackers loose in the entertainment capital of the world? DEFCON isn't your average convention. It's cash only at the door. Which isn't such a bad idea. With 7,000 hackers afoot, it's probably the last place you'd want to use your credit card. DEF CON's been going on a long time now, to various degrees of notoriety, uh, hacking their badges, hacking each other, and hacking each other's cell phone, and be a dangerous thing to attend. At DEF CON, you can learn how to pick a lock, electronic or otherwise, or how to hijack a digital billboard. And though most attendees are hackers, there's also more than a few federal agents. In more recent years, we've come so many undercover FBI agents that, uh, enforcement apart from the from the real deal depending on who you talk to the fbi are there to either spy on the hackers or recruit them we seek out the rockstar hackers to find out what the cutting-edge threats and vulnerabilities and tomorrow's issues and problems are because they know somebody told us it's easy to spot the fbi they're the guys over 35 Hackers is right behind this one. In the shady online world of the hacker, there is no one more notorious than Mafia Boy. A surprise move today by the Montreal
5: teenager known as Mafia Boy. He admitted in court he is the hacker who crashed several popular websites last winter.
1: The turn of the millennium saw the peak of the first dot-com gold rush. Internet giants like Yahoo, eBay, and Dell.com were doing hundreds of millions of dollars in online business every day. But in February 2000, these sites suddenly found themselves at the mercy of a 15-year-old kid, Michael Calce, aka Mafia Boy, a high school student from Montreal. My dad got me a computer. I don't know, it fascinated me what I can do with this machine. At 12, Michael was already a respected hacker. And by the time he was 15, he was asked to join what was then one of the most powerful hacker
0: groups online.
1: a rival hacker gang by building the ultimate online weapon. I'm going
0: to make a new tool, something that is so powerful people have never seen before, and they're going to run for
3: entered his mind that one of the most important sites on the Internet, one of the most valuable e-commerce companies out there, would actually get taken out by what he built.
1: In the early morning hours of February 7th, 2000, Michael prepares his attack. He puts the weapon on a the timer, thereby creating an alibi, and then heads off to his grade 9 classroom.
3: So he's sitting in a classroom, Mike isn't paying any attention, because all he's thinking about is 3, 2, 1, it's launched.
1: And at 10 a.m., what is still the largest internet attack in history begins.
0: I got home. I was just dying to get on the computer and see exactly what the results were. And I realized it was more than successful when I got home, because Yahoo.com was still down.
1: Michael's weapon launched a direct assault on Yahoo of service attack. Every time you access a website you make a request from that site's computers. What Michael did was harness the bandwidth of dozens of larger computers, mostly from universities in the US. By turning them all on to Yahoo and making millions of requests every after seeing yahoo collapse michael got a little carried away cnn amazon ebay dell all multi-billion dollar companies all easily shut down by mafia boy
0: cnn was probably one of the biggest attacks because they lost 1200 other sites when cnn.com went down everything linked to cnn just went I had something way more powerful than I could imagine here. I felt a sense of it before, but this was the moment I realized, you know, there's not much that can stop me here.
1: The attacks made headlines around the world and sent shockwaves rippling through the new economy. You have a situation where the price
3: of these companies that were hit, they take hits on the stock market. You have the attorney general of the United States, Clinton convening a cybersecurity summit at the White House and talking about finding ways to fend off future attacks like this.
0: The first reports came out. They were estimating the damage to be 1.7 billion dollars damage.
4: All from a Pentium 133.
1: It was Michael's bragging that eventually got him arrested. He served eight months in a juvenile home. But he left a legacy. Suddenly, the Internet didn't seem like such a great place to do business after all. People didn't really realize the extent to which the Internet was vulnerable until a 15-year-old kid kind of showed them. I think it, in a sense, showed that the emperor had no clothes, that the
3: thing experts had known all along, that building e-commerce on top of the Internet is maybe not the best idea. It also showed that there wasn't a coordinated strategy government, in industry, to actually combat and fix a lot of these flaws and to fight off these attacks.
1: The internet has little to no law enforcement. It's simply too big, too international, and too anonymous. It's very difficult to identify who is online at any one time, where do they come from, and they can just disappear into the ether, take out their connection and they're gone. Kids target one company and its ubiquitous operating system. Now, this company is looking for a little vigilante justice. Microsoft established an
2: antivirus reward program uh, that will pay people. They provide information on a virus rider it leads to an arrest and conviction.
1: It's a cash bounty. for information leading to the arrest and conviction of anyone who has written a destructive virus. We asked Donnie if he was up for the challenge. called because it hides inside a Microsoft Word document that the author then emails across the internet. Where Blaster was mindlessly destructive, simply flooding the internet, the Microsoft Word virus is much more sinister. After infecting a computer, it begins to collect documents. It then sends these documents back to the authors of the virus. documents being collected concerns Donnie. CAD drawings for computer-aided design, spreadsheets, PDF documents, architectural and machine blueprints. The nature of the data that's being taken, to me, it's it, 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 it goes straight to our critical infrastructure. It goes straight to the core of um, the United States military. And the virus is known to have targeted power systems Authors is Russia, home to the blackest of the world's black hats. We may not be able to pull this off. Your house. These days, it's much easier for them to break into your computer. What they're looking for is personal information, credit card numbers and banking details, anything that can be sold for quick and easy cash. A hacker recently told me that, uh
5: announced the theft of millions of credit card numbers and other personal customer information. In
1: 2007, TJX, a department store giant with over 2,000 retail outlets around the world, found themselves the Mark. In more recent filings, we believe it may be as much as 94 million. And credit cards aren't the only thing thieves took. Initially, we thought it was just credit card, bank card details. Over time, we discovered there were driver's licenses as well, which is much more significant because you're getting into pieces of identification that can really allow identity thieves to build identities from the ground up. by using a hacker trick called war driving. Basically, driving around with a laptop and a homemade antenna, often just an empty Pringles chip can covered in tinfoil. Hackers use this antenna to search for unprotected wireless connections. Once they find one, they break in and steal everything on your computer. I've known people who remain nameless who do this for fun, and they're what they're doing is trying to spot connections, And they will show you sometimes uh, on their computers the number of, uh, in some cases, uh, Fortune 500 companies, perhaps, that may have open network connections. Finding open connections isn't difficult. Nowadays, they're almost
5: everywhere. I've seen it in banks, uh, at the airport. All in- Lowe's is a uh, you know large uh, retailer of building supplies with you know, huge mega stores uh, all over mostly the United States and they recognized that somebody was hacking into their system so they called in the FBI who deployed a couple dozen agents in a store in uh, Southfield, Michigan and the agents you know were so unaware of what was actually happening they thought that somebody was walking into the store and plugging into the roof, noticed that there was a beat-up old car in the parking lot with a Pringles can covered with tinfoil, and they said, maybe we should investigate that, And sure enough,
1: uh, the driver of the car was hacking into Lowe's in order to steal credit card information, which was then to be sold to Russian Mafia in Detroit. Donnie shows us how quick and easy war driving is. It counts five minutes, the bell has Four times. And what does that mean? Uh, sixty five. That means that we found an access point. Some connected to somebody's wireless right now. If we were, let's say, someone with malicious intent now I'd be trick nowadays the internet is bursting with hacker toolkits these kits are essentially highly developed and highly illegal bundles of programs that allow even the beginner to become a junior cyber thief if you're looking for hacker toolkits you can just download them off the web there's lots of them out there um they're easy to find Cyber attacks more often, but some companies choose to keep that
5: information to themselves. If you have a cyber incident, you know, traditional best practice is cover it up, right? Don't, you know, don't tell anybody about it.
1: Currently, there are few laws that force companies to disclose cyber criminal activity,
3: and most organizations aren't that eager to make their customers nervous. They don't want
1: in a thriving online black market that's
5: the biggest development in uh, internet security in the last two and a half years has been the advent of markets for identities
1: in the black market working credit card numbers numbers and addresses sell for as little as $5. There's been cases where kids have made up to $150,000 in six months from various types of credit card fraud and uh, phishing schemes and and have gone on a spree of electronics buying. In the past few years, cybercrime has exploded. Some reports put it on a par with the drug trade. And a 2007 survey found it was more costly to businesses than conventional crime and most of it comes from one place when you think today about you know what what's the sort of country of hacking And why not? It was less risky than traditional crime, and the internet allowed the mobsters to go international. All they needed was a few programmers.
3: You have actual organized crime in Russia recruiting promising young programmers um, and other technical people to work in a cybercrime syndicate. These Russian syndicates are responsible for
1: the bulk of virus labs have sprung up all over the world. Kaspersky in Moscow is one of the biggest. We receive over
2: 2,000 of new viruses, trojans, and worms
0: every day to these labs. In order to provide constant and uninterrupted interrupt protection, uh, virus analysts have to work every hour, every day
2: of the week. We have a special uh, name for them. They are called woodpeckers.
4: That's because they hammer their keyboards very fast.
1: Donnie seeks help tracking down the authors of the Microsoft Word virus. He gets in
4: contact with a group of Russian cyber criminals. These guys are really no different than a, a criminal ring that uh, would be specializing in uh, stolen car parts or, or uh, you know, stolen electronics. Where they're trying to t- some type of, type of percentage out of it.
1: One of the group agrees to meet with Donnie in a cafe. The Russian tells Donnie that he's part of a hacker crew that works primarily as carters. They steal credit card information and then sell it online. Yes,
4: uh, for year or something, uh, cards? For so, the leader of the one crew that I uh, was working with, he made like, from 9000 to $15,000 a week. I had no idea that kind of money. I mean, I was spending, like, $1,000 a week.
1: Donnie then inquires about purchasing viruses that would allow him to steal information from anyone's computer. So, uh, so one
4: of the things that I'm also interested in is, um, uh, uh, back doors. Yes, uh, I until, like, $100.
1: all viruses have such a clear purpose. In 2007, a new type of virus appears on the internet. Stormworm. It infects without warning and seemingly without consequence. And to this day, no one knows what its purpose is.
2: People often ask me about how, how do I know if I'm infected by storm.
1: You download it, you get a different copy. And if you do find it and try to remove it, the worm attacks. But the biggest reason Stormworm is making headlines around the world is that it turns a computer into a so called zombie or robot. The author of Stormworm can then control your computer, now a zombie. ...remotely, without you knowing. The zombie computer means a computer which is no longer in control of its owner.
2: The person who actually owns the PC doesn't see this. He, he thinks the PC works just fine, but there's someone else behind the scenes who has access to that machine and can do whatever he wants.
1: the worm, then links all of the zombies together, creating a robot network, or botnet. So the idea of, of these botnets is that uh, characters who manage to get bad code onto your computer, they own your computer, you know, they have, I like to call it the key onto the mat. they can come back any time they like, they, you don't know even that they're there. Once you have a botnet at your disposal, you can use the combined pa- for
2: example send an instruction that all of those machines start to send as much traffic as they
1: can against one single website. That's a denial of service attack. The same type of attack Mafia Boy used to take down Yahoo. There are Russian botnet
2: operators right now selling denial of service attacks launched from their botnet
1: is its size and sophistication. Experts estimate the number of linked computers to be in the millions. But still, no one knows this botnet's purpose.
5: The estimates are that it alone has infected 15 million machines, and it has not been used for anything. So there's this hovering,
1: literally perfect storm of potential attack. So the concern is that, that the storm worms has created all these compromised computers that in themselves create a kind of an almost a massive supercomputer. And if very bad people have control of this, they may be able to do very bad things on a very, very big scale. Donnie continues his search for the authors of the Microsoft Word virus. He asks his source if the Russians are involved. They're getting, like,
4: CAD drawings and designs. We have a lot from the global yeah, army, I mean, but we don't get into it on people that do So, I don't know about people, really don't know anything about this line software, but,
0: I mean, some people tell me, uh, you know, stuff that's coming, the Russians using it. In China, is, uh, they have the technology, they're not
4: theoretical, so they're the most...
1: 2007, Estonia suddenly found itself on the losing side of a battle with the largest country on earth. What began as a protest over Estonia's relocation of a Soviet war memorial quickly turned ugly. Riots broke out, and Russian hackers launched what some people call the world's first cyber war.
2: was a major cyber
5: attack. Somebody tried to harm the country, the government of the country, the financial organization
0: of
1: the country. Cyber warfare. It's a terrifying premise and up until recently, mostly hypothetical. Estonia was particularly vulnerable. Like Canada, Online, attacking the Internet makes everyone a little nervous. Down to the point that people may ask, is my money still in the bank, if I I don't have access to my money? Within minutes, hackers shut down the banks. They also targeted broadcasters, newspapers, and government offices. And though the Russian government denies any involvement, there's no doubt the attacks were politically motivated. We don't have solid evidence that this is related to any governments. However... last two years of his career as the chief of the Army's computer emergency response team, the cyber SWAT team of the U.S. military.
5: China, in their own doctrine, their own military doctrine, says they'll be ready to take on the U.S. by 2025. They're not going to do that tank on tank. That's not what their plan is. Their plan is to go at us with asymmetric warfare. Word virus. They steal every document on those hard drives. Every Word document, every PowerPoint document, every Excel document. And they bring them back to China. We're talking about millions of documents.
1: Stealing national secrets over the net has replaced old-fashioned espionage.
5: So that they can go and try to penetrate the U.S. government and other government institutions. In
1: 2007, the U.S. claimed China cyber attacked. health, traffic, yeah, traffic, government structure of a
2: country. You have to concern yourself with the possibility of a digital Pearl Harbor. I think there's a there's there's always the possibility that a rogue terrorist group were to have a very significant denial of service attack. if there's anything that to understand in cyberspace is that this is hard stuff. You have to take it serious.
1: So if and when an attack comes, are we ready? Donnie abandons his pursuit of the Microsoft Word virus. He reasons that now it's too risky. We're not just looking at black hat hackers. We're not looking. Like a true grey hat, he's already on to something else. So who are you working for now, Donnie? Not gonna comment on that. Here. Michael Calce has written a book about his life as a notorious hacker. I couldn't stand back. Attacks are increasing. The number of viruses has doubled in a year. And places like the Pentagon ward off a cyber attack nearly every day. Is cybersecurity a significant threat to the critical infrastructure of Canada and the world? Absolutely. No question. This is serious stuff. It is supposed to be
4: a little bit turbulent. It is supposed to be a little bit uncontrollable. And to have that openness and that freedom, you have to deal with the other things. The interconnected nature of the Internet and critical infrastructures is a point of significant vulnerability for modern society.
1: Funnel through the internet. What's at stake is impossible to dismiss. Because the 9 11 Commission, their summary of the 9 11 events was that it was a failure of imagination. And I think the one thing we don't want to do is.